share a quote with you. Quote, remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. That's probably one of the most famous quotes from Stephen Hawking, the physicist who died just over five years ago and who is often regarded as one of the most intelligent people to ever live. Quote, remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. One of the things that, that Stephen Hawking was known for is having devoted much of his life to, to searching for what is known as a theory of everything. In a movie by that title, it's, it's a way to coherently and comprehensively explain time and space and gravity, really mathematically. Though Hawking uh, eventually became convinced that this cannot be done, that there is no theory of everything, he famously wrote, that, quote, if we do discover a theory of everything, it would be the ultimate triumph of human reason, for then we would know the mind of God. Of course, Hawking said he didn't believe there is a God, but he couldn't find a better way to describe what it would mean to possess a, a theory of everything than to describe it as knowing the mind of God. Hawking died having failed to find what he was looking for. If only there were some way to discover an overarching theory of everything, an explanation for why there is something instead of nothing, an explanation for what it all means. If only there was some way to know the mind of God. Oh, but there is. The author of creation has spoken. He has revealed His mind. Now, he has not told us everything that we would like to know, like the, the way to, to reconcile the incompatible theories of general relativity and quantum mechanics. No, he has not told us everything that we would like to know, but he has told us enough. He has revealed his intention and his vision for the world that he has made. And it can be summarized in one promise, the promise of redemption, the promise of reconciliation. Uh, this is week three of four in a, a four-part Advent series titled The Promise, in which we're going back to the beginning to trace our need for and the promise of a Savior who will reverse the curse upon creation. On, on the first Sunday of Advent, uh, we looked at the beginning of that need and, and the first giving of that promise in Genesis 3.15. Last Sunday, uh, we looked at the first longing for in anticipation of the fulfillment of that promise at the end of chapters 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Genesis, followed then in, in chapters 6 through 9 by the way that God preserved the promise. He preserved the promise by preserving a remnant of humanity in the great flood of Noah. After that, chapter 10 then records the, the first few generations after the flood as the earth begins to be repopulated. Chapter 11 begins with at least one sizable portion of humanity rebelling against God by, by refusing to obey the creation mandate, refusing to obey the task given to humanity, quote, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The people instead, they decide to build one great city, with one great tower stretching up to the heavens, building up instead of spreading out. 
And like their predecessors, they declare that they possess the knowledge of good and evil apart from what God has said. But rather than wiping out humanity with another flood, God instead forces them to scatter across the face of the earth. He does that by confusing their language. That's Genesis chapter 11. Then at the end of that chapter, similar to the way that that chapter 5 ended by zooming in on a particular line of male descendants from Seth down to Noah, thus building anticipation for the coming of the promised Messiah, the promised offspring of Adam and Eve. Well, chapter 11, it ends similarly by zooming in on a particular line of male descendants from Noah's son, Shem, all the way down to a man named Abram. And that brings us to chapter 12. I invite you to turn with me there, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. You can find it on page 10 in the first half of the Pew Bible. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord to you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him, that's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, grant us the faith of Abraham, the faith to believe your promises. Bless the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, the promised offspring, we pray. Amen. Well, the call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12 who God later renames Abraham, this call, it it includes three promises that can be summarized in three words. Land, seed, and blessing. You've probably heard that before. Land, seed, and blessing. First, God promises to grant Abram land on which to dwell. A prosperous land that will later be described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Second, Abram has no children. His wife Sarai is barren, but but with the seed promise, God promises to give Abram and Sarai descendants that will become a great nation, a people to possess the land. And third, somehow through their seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Land, seed, blessing. And with these promises, surprisingly, Abram believes and he obeys. I say surprisingly, not simply because of how radical the demand is to to go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to a foreign land that you do not know. I say it's surprising because unlike Noah, Abram was not a worshiper of God before this moment. He served other gods, false gods, pagan gods. But when the one true and living God spoke to him, Abram believed and he obeyed as we are likewise called to do. As the Christians in Thessalonica did when when they heard the gospel, the Apostle Paul describes them as having turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. So we are to do, that's precisely what Abram did, making the journey to a foreign land. That's the end of chapter 12. Now, now a lot happens in chapters 12, 13, and 14, but, but skipping ahead to chapter 15, uh, several years have passed, almost 10 years. We read this, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, some servant of his. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, no seed. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, while this conversation in verses 1 through 5 uh, primarily focuses on the seed promises of land, seed, and blessing, with this nearly 85-year-old man lacking any offspring, well, well, the next part of the chapter, it further emphasizes the land promise. And to assure Abram that these seemingly impossible promises are going to be fulfilled, the Lord performed a covenant-cutting ceremony at the end of that chapter, in which a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that represents God's presence, that presence of God, it passes between split in two carcasses of a heifer and a goat and a ram, seemingly to, to indicate that God is swearing on his own life. God is swearing to his own death that he will fulfill these promises to Abraham. Now, you know, a lengthy sermon series could be preached on the topic of the Abrahamic covenant. It spanned Genesis 12 through Genesis 50. It spanned Exodus through Joshua and much of the rest of the Old Testament and substantial portions of the New Testament. So in this abbreviated Cantata Sunday sermon, I'm just going to hit the high points. Specifically, I want to highlight three ways in which the promise given in Genesis 3.15 about a coming Savior, how that promise is expanded in the land, seed, and blessing promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Three ways the promise is expanded in Genesis 12. The implication of the promise back in Genesis 3.15 that an offspring of Adam and Eve will defeat Satan, the implication is that, that the curse of sin and death will be lifted from all of God's creation. The naming of Noah, it sounds, his name sounds like the word relief. It spoke to this fact. His father declared, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This understanding of Noah's father, this understanding of a, a worldwide lifting of the curse, is of course made more explicit throughout the later prophets, especially as they speak of the coming of the Messiah and of the Messiah being granted, quote, the ends of the earth as his possession. Not just some lot of land, but the ends of the earth, all the earth being lifted of its curse. Psalm 2. And yet, back here in Genesis 12, the land promise given to Abraham was focused on only a, a portion of the earth, a relatively small portion, the land of Canaan. There's a debate about the intended borders of this land of Canaan given to, to Abraham, but even given the largest estimates, it's only about the size of the state of Texas. And the nation of Israel never possessed anywhere near that much of that land. So then what we're seeing here is the first way that the promise of Genesis 3.15 is being expanded. A partial fulfillment will foreshadow the ultimate fulfillment. 
The blessing of of peace and, and prosperity that was experienced by the nation that came from Abraham, the nation of Israel, as the visible presence of God dwelt among them in the promised land. Well, that was only a partial picture of God's promise from Genesis 3.15 to lift the curse from all of creation. His promise to extend the borders of Eden to envelop the entire world, making all the world His temple. A partial fulfillment. In the great hall of faith passage in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that, that there's some sense in which Abraham understood this. Some sense in which Abraham knew that the land that was being promised to his descendants in this life was only a partial picture of the greater promise of a redeemed world. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, living in tents as opposed to permanent structures, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For Abram was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah, his wife's name Sarah is renamed Sarah, herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, 90 by that point, since she considered him faithful who had promised it. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, 100 years old by that time, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all, Abram, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, knowing that this world was not their true home, knowing that they were merely passing through. Verse 14, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, from Ur of the Chaldeans, from Haran, well, they would have had the opportunity to return to that land. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, because they desire a heavenly country, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That's Genesis 22. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The question is how? How was Abraham able to take the knife in his own hand to take the life of his only son? Well, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back. Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. His eyes were set on a better country, a better homeland. He knew that this was a partial fulfillment of the ultimate promise given in Genesis 3.15. Jesus says the same thing in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus declared, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. How did Abraham, so many centuries earlier, see the day of Christ? 
Well, no doubt Abraham saw the day of Christ in in numerous ways, but likely none more so than in the provision of a substitute to die in the place of his son. For having taken the knife in his hand, quote, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Genesis 22, 13. Many, many years after that event, on a mountain in the same region, quite possibly at the exact location that that ram was offered up in place of Abraham's only son, God the Father offered up His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the place of those that He came to bless. Abraham saw Christ's day and was glad. Okay, but but who are those who are blessed by this promised offspring of Abraham? Thinking of the the blessing promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, as as we read in God's first words to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. Well, this is the second way that the promise of Genesis 3.15 is being expanded. People from every family of the earth will receive the blessing. Chapter 22, after Abraham shows a willingness to sacrifice his son, it says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations of the earth. So it's not about bloodline. The blessing of Abraham is not reserved for those who physically descend from Abraham and Isaac and from Jacob. It's for those referred to in Revelation 5 verse 9 as people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Okay, but but in what way are these people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, in what way are they blessed? What is the blessing of Abraham. Well, what, what is implied in the giving of the promise of Genesis 3 only becomes clear as the Scriptures unfold. But, but let's go ahead and skip ahead to the exact use of that phrase, the phrase, the blessing of Abraham, in Galatians chapter 3. It says this, Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, here's the gospel preached to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is the blessing of Abraham? It's the good news of the gospel. The good news of eternal redemption from the curse through the substitutionary sacrifice of the promised offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this redemption is for people from every family of the earth, every people group. This this worldwide, all families aspect of the promise of Genesis 3.15 had a partial fulfillment through the nation of Israel. As I I point out regularly, a, a mixed multitude of Egyptians united themselves to the people of Israel as the people of Israel marched out of Egypt 
in the Exodus, headed toward the promised land. That's Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. A mixed multitude of Egyptians bound themselves to becoming Israelites. So then from its inception, being a member of the nation of Israel, being a member of the old covenant community of God, it had nothing to do with ancestry. Through their worship of the one true and living God and through the unique blessings of peace and prosperity that were given to them, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to draw peoples of the earth to bind themselves to God and to to become part of His people to receive His blessings. We see a glimpse of that in Exodus chapter 12. We see a glimpse of it at other times throughout the nation's history. We, We saw it as we concluded the book of Esther a few weeks ago. We saw it in the book before that in Ruth. But sadly, because of their idolatry, because of their disobedience, because of the judgment they endured, Israel failed terribly in the mission given them to be a light to the nations. But, but even so, the partial picture is still there. It's there in the promise given to Abraham, pointing to the eventual redemption of people from every family of the earth through his offspring. Okay, but who are those people? How is the redemption received? Well, back in chapter 15, immediately before the covenant-cutting ceremony, we read this in verse 6. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. This is the third way that the promise of Genesis 3.15 is being expanded. The eternal blessing of Abraham is received through faith. This is, of course, the main point of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, in the few verses I read. This is the main point of Galatians chapter 3, in the few verses I read from there. But but to hammer this point home, let's look at a few verses from one other chapter in one other book of the New Testament. Romans chapter 4. As the Apostle Paul comments on this verse from Genesis, he says this, Romans 4 verse 20. He says, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But Abraham grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The righteousness of the promised offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, is credited to all who place their trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins. The promise of redemption, the blessing of Abraham, is received by all who place their faith in the promise. So this Christmas, follow the advice of Stephen Hawking. Remember to to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see there. Not as a closed system of space and time that just happened to create itself, but as the handiwork of our magnificent God. And as we look at the stars, see it as a reminder of the great multitude of people who are being redeemed by the promised offspring of Abraham, who was born that first Christmas. Do not merely wonder what makes the universe exist. No what makes the universe exist. Know Him who makes it exist. Know the mind of God revealed through His Word and believe the promise. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, 
We thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, grant us the faith of Abraham and use us to take this promise to the ends of the earth. Bless the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.